So about 10 years ago, I started a small business here in Denver. We recently sold that business. But in the early days, I got a taste of the dynamic as a small business owner of online reviews. Some of you probably, um, if, you're, if you own a small business, um, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, we could get, in the early days of the business, we could get like 25 star reviews, but it was the one negative review that could crush me. I mean, I just go spiraling for the day. The words of that critique online uh, would crush me. And sometimes I, I remember in the early days sometimes thinking like, man, people are just unkind. They are so lacking compassion. Who would speak this way with a sort of air of, you know, self-righteousness about it? And um, on the flip side, I, I recently had some carpet installed in my house, and uh, the project didn't go so well. So my first thought was like, I am going to rip them to shreds online. <laughs> Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever had the experience online where something was said to you through a comment or a tweet that was not very kind or compassionate? Something that had the person been physically face-to-face -face with you, they probably wouldn't have said it. But since they were online, they figured they could use whatever words they wanted to use towards or against you. Have you ever been? the person on the giving end of these less than righteous words. This phenomenon, known as internet trolling often, has been rewriting the rules of social etiquette. Because we will use words, a tone, a strength online that most of us would never use eyeball to eyeball, unless you're really feeling bold or you're really with some trusted friends. When something truly tragic happens, like a child is attacked by an alligator in Florida, it's almost predictable now that just moments from when that story hits the news feed, there will be Tons of chatter online about parenting in our world today. But would the authors of those comments walk into the funeral of that child and say those same words to grieving parents? We seem to feel a freedom online that often we don't face to face. A, a recent study ranked each state in the U.S. according to its toxicity online, and it revealed that overall 25% of people posting comments online had posted something toxic. In our age of social media and the Internet, it seems that our use of words has taken a turn away from what the book of Proverbs in this Bible would call wisdom and righteousness. And we've taken a turn towards what Proverbs describes as foolishness 
and wickedness. I mean, today, it is much easier to speak first, maybe listen. But does the divine wisdom that we see in Proverbs suggest to us a better way, a different way? Today, we're going to look at Proverbs 10 through 15, and this section is contrasting back and forth the righteous and the wicked. And it covers a number of topics, but we're going to just look at two today that this section of Proverbs says a lot about. Um, And those two are our speech and our receiving of correction. Or you could put it another way, speaking and listening. So speaking and listening. It's like two things that are at the core of humanity, at the core of our interaction with others. The question is, how well do we speak? How well do we listen? Do we speak out of health? Do we listen in health? So just to gain a bit of a scope for how many Proverbs are about speaking and listening, I chose a few. This is not an exhaustive list. There is more, for sure. There are many more. Um, But we're going to read through some of these just so we might sit with them for a moment this morning. Um, And to do this, I will read the first stanza of each proverb. And I want to invite you to read after the comma. I'll read the first, pause, you read the second out loud. And we'll just go through a bunch so we can get a sense of the scope. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Lying lips conceal hate. With lots, I'll take that one. (laughs) With lots of words comes wrongdoing. A city is honored by the blessing of the virtuous. Whoever despises their neighbor lacks sense. A slanderer walks around revealing secrets. The words of the wicked are a death trap. Some chatter on like a stabbing sword. Truthful lips endure forever. People eat well from the fruit of their words. People who watch their mouths guard their lives. Pride sprouts in the mouth of a fool. A sensitive answer turns back wrath. Wholesome speech is a tree of life. The righteous heart reflects before answering. Those who heed instruction are on the way to life. 
those who love discipline love knowledge. Fools see their own way as right. A wise son listens to the discipline of his father. Plans fail with no counsel. The ear that listens to life-giving correction dwells among the wise. Speaking and listening. I'll never forget an experience I had during the 2016 election. It is probably an understatement to say that emotions were high and opinions were flying in the months leading up to the election. And social media felt like a, the Wild West, where no rules applied whatsoever. And I remember uh, one day a woman I know um, took to social media with her pro-life viewpoint. And in her post, she said, I cannot believe any woman would consider throwing away the life of her child. Only a monster would do that. Now, her po post was her viewpoint, and she felt justified to express it online. But as a pastor who sits alongside men and women in very complex life situations, um, I felt troubled by the name-calling. And the very next day, a college student here in Denver Googled churches in Denver and found us and came into my office and told me she was pregnant, told me her story, told me she had an abortion scheduled for the next morning. And these two scenarios back to back in a short amount of time um, were not lost on me. And we talked and prayed. And you guys, in this instance, that little baby was dedicated to the Lord here last May. Some people will use their words and their online voice and their platform to highlight differences between us or to police the highways and byways of the World Wide Web with this is wrong, this is bad, I don't think this way. And I don't have anything against those bloggers, I just don't want to be one of them. Because when anyone with a laptop can insert themselves into a conversation that very often has nothing to do with them, where relationships are not present, 
pretty soon what happens is we are all just flinging around our opinions, uninformed, name-calling, drawing lines in the sand, hurling arrows across the divide, and telling ourselves that's a conversation. But is it? Or is it just an easy way to air opinions that never have to be backed up, that never have to be explained to real people in real situations with real feelings to people with daughters and sons and loved ones who will read what is posted online for years to come. The book of James in the Bible is an example of wisdom literature. The book of James is essentially like the New Testament uh, version of Proverbs. And the book of James says these words that I would love for us to walk away memorized this morning. Here's what James says. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. Would you snap it with me? Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to grow angry. What if we lived that? There's a documentary from 2005 called Into Great Silence. It was made by German filmmaker Philip Groening. Um, and what he did was he, there is a monastery that's nestled in the picture-perfect uh, French Alps. And uh, it's an amazing monastery. But in 1984, this German filmmaker approached the monastery and asked the monks uh, if he could have permission to make a documentary about them. And they said, we'll get back to you about that. And 16 years later, they said, we're ready. So this filmmaker and his crew goes in and lives in the monastery with the monks, eating meals, seeing, doing chores, sometimes going outside, doing... Uh, having times of prayer, and they film for six months. I found this documentary to be absolutely mesmerizing. It's like a poetic immersion into this hush of monastic life. And uh, it's like three hours long, so I thought we'd watch it now. <laughs> not, not really. We're going to watch the trailer because I want you to get a sense of this, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. So this is Into Great Silence.
to God. God is always present. I am often absent. Silence is not the absence of noise, but the absence of resistance to God. Some of you might watch that and find yourself being critical of the um, depiction of the monastic life in that film, and maybe for some good reasons. But here is what I hope. I hope that it challenges in all of us this. There is an inner sanctuary inside you. A divine center that when nurtured and over time, you can develop that inner sanctuary of your soul to such an extent that you can go anywhere, no matter how noisy, and still be quiet inside. That you can develop that inner stillness and union and oneness, that inner sanctuary of your soul. And take that with you wherever you go. One of the great lines in that documentary is when a young monk enters the monastery and says this, you have seduced me, Lord, and I have been seduced. And I love, I just, ever since I watched it, it's just that line has been rolling over and over in my head. You have seduced me, Lord, and I have been seduced. Because how many times is, how many moments of my day are spent in attachment to so many things other than God. And a piece of what you see happening there is this process of detachment that's essential in the spiritual journey. Proverbs makes it clear that the wise and righteous take great care to control their speech, even limiting what they say. So these holy people in this movie, they live simply, and they find that many words are unnecessary to peace. John O'Donohue says this, there is a very important distinction to be made between listening 
and hearing. Sometimes we listen to things, but we never hear them. True listening brings us in touch even with that which is unsaid and unsayable. Sometimes the most important thresholds of mystery are places of silence. To be genuinely spiritual is to have great respect for the possibilities and presence of silence. Martin Heidegger says that true listening is worship. When you listen with your soul, you come into rhythm and unity with the music of the universe. Through friendship and love, you learn to attune yourself to the silence, to the threshold of mystery where your life enters the life of your beloved and the beloved's life enters yours. So a few questions we can consider. How often do you speak when listening might be the better option? And what do you say? Is it wise? Is it foolish? Do you have certain people in your life that you're willing to listen to? When was the last time you willingly accepted correction from someone? What are the three? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, uh, just yesterday, we, my family, we returned from our annual week in northern Wisconsin, and we do this every summer, and uh, I always know I am back in Wisconsin when we arrive, and we go to fill up the car with gas, and we pull into the gas station, and I walk in, and the cheese department is bigger than the cheese department at Whole Foods. And I always think, this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, on earth as it is in heaven. Cheese. <laughs> But one of the great things, so Tim, my husband, Tim, has been doing the up north, northern Wisconsin vacation his entire life. And I've been doing it with him since we've been married with his family, uh, 17 years. So this is like a strong, enduring, grotty family tradition. And one of the things I love about it is campfires. Campfires every day. And uh, it's an opportunity to teach my kids about how to build a campfire. And my kids right now are four and six. And no matter how many times I tell them, they always want to pile on the logs. They just want to fill it up. They just want to keep putting more and more and more logs on the fire. And, uh, of course, when you do that in a campfire, it smothers it. It smothers the flame. And the same is true in our lives, and the same is true in our speech. In order for a fire to burn, there must be space between the logs. So in closing, I want to share a poem called Fire by Judy Brown. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. 
So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the flame that knows just how it wants to burn. Would you find your way in us? Jesus, we remember that you often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So as we come to the table of communion now to dine with you, to share a meal with you, we remember you're the one we follow. You're the source of all wisdom. Would you give us your wisdom for life? We so desperately need it. Would you give us your wisdom in speaking and in listening so that your holy fire that knows just how it wants to burn might burn brightly inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.